me know. It's almost as though I need. It's almost as though I need to acknowledge and move about my emotions, similar to the way that a school teacher would greet their students and move them to the classroom for a proper, effective, and efficient day. Boom! Is that a cold opening? Did you just sneak a cold opening into the episode? Is that... is that... alright, okay, well... I think so. Welcome to the reinventing. If you're going to sneak in this cold opening, then I'm going to steal your introduction. So welcome to the reinventing education podcast. This is a podcast run by us two chaps for people who want to know a bit more about education and get into the minutia of education and the big picture stuff and all the bits in between. What's the stick here? What are we talking about, Robert? So today we're going to be looking at the greetings about how students get to the classroom in a mainstream school. And uh, as well, what was the other thing? Uniforms? Uniforms. Yeah. That old devil. It's a very, uniforms, always a contentious issue whenever brought up in school. We had, we bandied about a few different ideas when we were brainstorming for this episode. And we'll get into it, but it seems like no matter who you are whenever uniforms gets brought up, there's fairly polarizing opinions on it. It was our, um, it was like our, one of our highest listened to episodes from the last season, the, the um, traditional uh, uniforms and textbooks. <laughs> one of the driest ideas, and it got more, I think, the most listens to of any of those kind of uh, feature episodes that we did. And teachers, we are notorious for using jargon. If you're new to us and you're like, hold on, traditional, mainstream, what are these dudes on about? Go back to our 50th episode, uh, Start Here 2.0, a map for reinventing education. There we go through all of the jargon that we're using. If you're completely new to us, but you're familiar with either Spiral Dynamics or Frederick Lelou's Reinventing Organizations, you can probably piece together more or less what we're talking about. So if you are familiar with the color structures, we're kind of using blue, amber as traditional, orange as mainstream, and green as progressive. Um, and if you don't know those colors, that probably just sounded like a psychedelic rainbow of nonsense. In which case, go back and listen to the 50th episode before you come back to this one. So Brendan, let's walk mm -hmm. through what does the start of a day look like in a mainstream school and maybe we should give our caveat before we start that some of these details we're going to get into it's a little bit messy unlike almost every other area we've looked at there's been very clear distinct differences between these three approaches to school but this start of the school day for us as you wisely pointed out it's not entirely clear that there's a huge difference here between the mainstream and traditional approach yeah, and I guess the question is, like, why are you looking at this? Why, why are we spending the time looking at how kids get in and around school? And I know we've said this before, but getting back to the idea that this idea of the mainstream school that seeks opportunity, that is embedded into every single part of the day. It's embedded into the culture and the practices. We talk about the, the quadrants. Um, I'm going to forget some of them. In fact, why don't you take those? <laughs> you, you tell me what they are. <clears throat> so we've taken integral theories four quadrants and we've put two aspects into each of those quadrants. 
So if we're looking at the eight aspects of school, in the lower right, we can look at the systems and the environments. So systems, how does the school or the organization organize itself? And what are the physical environments? In the upper right quadrant, we could be looking at the resources and the activities. So resources, what things are used, and activities, how are they used? And if it's not clear, we don't just mean in the classroom, we mean in every aspect of the school. You're going to see these things mirrored in the classroom, mirrored in the administration, mirrored in staff meetings, all these kinds of things. Lower left, we're looking at the uh, communities and cultures. So communities who are the various overlapping social circles and uh, culture. How do we engage with each other? What is permitted? Uh, how do we go about doing things? What are those shared understandings? And then finally, in the upper left, we can look at the um, reactions and beliefs of any individual. So the interior of the individual, looking at how do they react to things. This could include emotional or rational reactions to things. And as well, the beliefs. What are the unique constellations of individual beliefs within any person within a school, be it student, be it teacher, administration, parent, community member, etc. Yeah, and so all of that is embedded in everything that we do. And so what we'll see here is the kids moving around and coming to school in the morning, moving to the classroom. We won't necessarily see much difference in practice, but again, like we talked about in the last episode, maybe the underlying logic, the underlying uh, aims and the values that come through are a little different. So here's what you might see in a primary school, in a mainstream primary school in Britain. The bell will ring in the morning or um, there'll be some signal to say that the day is about to start. And uh, depending on how the school kind of organizes itself, either the kids will be able to make their own way to the classroom or the teacher might come out and meet them. Now, in a traditional school, the teacher would come out and meet because that is how children enter the school. That is the traditional lineage. That is what's expected. That is how the master and the um, apprentice or the master and the students meet each other. There'll be a formal greeting and so on. But in a mainstream school, I think it's there's a little bit more of just what's the best way to get our kids to the class with the knowledge that we just want them to be safe. We don't necessarily have to uh, put in a bunch of rules or specifics in there unless they actually serve that purpose of just getting the kids to the classroom to start the day. So I guess it's less I can't, less ritualistic in a way. There's a little bit of an idea, especially these days, that um, insurance may require teachers to take kids up to the classroom to make sure that they're supervised the whole time. We talked about an irony last week of, of how um, the mainstream value is looking for more opportunity, but sometimes it actually, because of Things that are inside the mainstream culture, including things like insurance and liability, actually means that there is less opportunity in some cases. I think this might be one of those those times as well. And as I just said, in a traditional school, there might be an expectation of quite a formal greeting to the teacher. 
And uh, I know um, when I talk to some of the Japanese staff at our school, they'll talk about in Japanese schools that the students will greet the teachers every morning, sometimes with quite a formal bow. Um, that's probably not as ex expected in a mainstream school. There may be some kids say hi, but the majority of them may just pass you by, lost in their own world as they head up to the classroom. Announcements? I think that's the only thing we didn't touch on. Yeah, do you want to pick? Do you want to say the announcements thing? <laughs> Efficient. Can do. One of the characteristics once, one of the characteristics that you'll see in most North American classrooms, anyways, in mainstream schools, once the students are in the classroom, settled down, quite often the day begins with announcements. At least my experience. Uh, growing up in Canada was that this was a routine. We'd have O Canada played. For a while, we did the Lord's Prayer, but that ended up being phased out. And then essentially there'd be just some efficient sharing of information done. So a reminder of a spirit day coming up or you know, if there's a professional development day, we're off school or a fundraiser, these kinds of things, those sorts of things would be announced as well. You know, things might be announced like, hey, you know, the football team won or the hockey team won, etc. Some acknowledging of excellence um, would be done there. Now, I think this is done efficiently so that we don't have these traditional assemblies. So in the traditional school, you might see a possibly daily or weekly assembly where that same information would be shared. But by doing the announcements, you know, quick while the students are already in the classroom, you know, where it's only taking two or three minutes and you don't have to, you know, take five minutes getting down to the assembly hall and five minutes back. This is just sort of a quick and efficient way to to share information that's happening in the school. So Brennan, what are some of the benefits of this mainstream approach to getting students to the classroom? It's because it isn't really a think because it isn't really defined and it looks very different in every school. It's hard to actually say how this is a step up or a benefit from what you might see in, a, in maybe a more traditional school. Obviously, it's a little bit more laid back. It's a little bit more relaxed, which maybe helps kids to start the day in a slightly more um, at ease manner. And in theory, it does offer kids a little bit more independence. You know, there's clear rules, expectations, there's clear consequences. Again, you might not find those as clearly defined in a traditional school. It's like, you know, this is what we want to do. And if you can do these things, then you have a little bit of freedom in how you do them. Yeah, and I don't think there's much more to it than that. But this thing is still on my mind about that liability thing. I don't know if this is the right time to drop this in. We did start on a little bit of a, a wild tangent. So, you know, what the heck? What's your two cents on that, Rob? This idea that the opportunity value wants to give kids more opportunity, therefore more independence, more freedom, more choice. But we kind of got ourselves in a little bit of a pickle that um, we've actually had to turn up our supervision of kids. Yeah. Is so it all just because of the liability or is there something else in there? Well, I don't know if there possibly there's something else. Let's toy with this briefly. What we said in the traditional school, maybe just to make a comparison, quite often in traditional schools, there might be periods in the day. Well, I don't mean periods as in a full 45 minute block, although that is possible. But there are moments in the day in a traditional school where students might not have any supervision. There might be some free playtime outside 
you know, at the start of the day, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of a lesson where there's not a teacher out in the yard with them, or there's not necessarily teachers positioned strategically in the stairway while students are coming up, like we will see in the mainstream school for legal reasons. Um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to draw that distinction that in the mainstream school, in theory, for legal reasons, there should be no time in the day, even no second in the day, where there isn't some teacher who has the responsibility to be overseeing the students. You know, I, I don't I don't know if it was ever explicitly said this clearly, but it was certainly expressed a thousand different ways in my teacher training. And becoming a teacher in Canada was essentially if something happens or a kid is harmed or bullied in some sort of way and you were supposed to be there, be that a duty in the hallway, outside recess break, or most certainly something in the classroom itself, if something happened and you weren't physically present, basically like the full force of the law is going to come down on you because you are now not protected because it was expected that part of your duty was to be there. Is is that what you want to dig into here? Yeah, and I think this is, this could be a whole big can of worms and it? it could be an episode in of itself. Maybe we do need to put this to one side for now. But it but it it is embedded in the mainstream culture, the idea of independence, the idea of choice. It's not free choice. It's not complete. It's within a specific set of guidelines and rules. And this is the idea of the coach and the the coached kind of um, relationship between the teacher and the student that uh, strategies can be chosen that, that best serve what we want to do. And again, that's embedded in everything. That's very much in this idea of schools can essentially do whatever they want to get kids to the classroom. But then then this, this big thing thing on the horizon. I worked in a summer camp uh, now and again, and that's by far one of the biggest things on the minds of the people running the camp, the idea of the, the litigation that, that, could, that could stem from many of these circumstances that are often unforeseen. And the idea is that, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost as if a counterbalance has happened naturally within the mainstream to stop <laughs> to stop that independence going too far and i wonder whether it uh you know we should definitely dig into this a little bit more but today i think i think that's kind of enough just to point out that the school even with something as small as getting kids into the classroom it, it it's kind of torn in this bind between what is expected in terms of the law and, and basically the the risks of litigation if you don't fulfill what's expected versus this other dynamic drive of looking for opportunities. Yeah, and I think maybe we're confusing terms a little bit. This idea of independence and non unsupervised, I guess, time. But I think, yeah, we're pointing out that there is some kind of friction here of we want students to have independence and not have an authority breathing down their neck. And at the same time, there needs to be authority around them. And I guess maybe this is the unanswered question of like, how much does the teacher, the authority have to interject or get in there while 
trying to optimize for independence for students as individuals. Mm. So bathwater, moving on. Uh, what are what are the drawbacks of some of these approaches as perhaps vague and unclear, <laughs> or at least non-uniform um, as they are? I mean, I think we've touched on a couple of these already. One thing that is a, a kind of a smaller complaint of the staff that I speak to have come from more traditional schools will say that, you know, we've lost that greeting where every single child will come in. I'm currently kind of greeting kids in our school as we do hand washing as, as the kids come in. And it's kind of tough sometimes for the kids to, for, to get the kids to make eye contact and say good morning and they will walk kind of past you. It's not necessarily an expectation. Sometimes it feels a little bit heavy if you're asking every kid to, to greet. But then on the other hand, when you get the kids who walk in and smile and say, hey, good morning, it, it, is, a, it is a positive thing. Um, however, that, you know, forcing kids to do that also doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily adding meaning to it if they're just grudgingly kind of saying hello. So it's a bit of a, a tur between, but it is cited sometimes as something we've lost as we've moved more into that mainstream. Everybody does their own thing. I think on the other side, a more progressive school might say, hey, why are you even having bells? Why are you even having people have, you know, having to stand outside for 20 minutes just so that before they can go up to their classroom? Why can't they just come in as they would in any other building. Like, why can't you just walk into the room and sit down and read a book and make something? And sure, there is that litigation. Sure is that there is the kind of legal obligation side, the supervision. And some uh, schools will play with this. Some mainstream schools will open up libraries earlier and, and things such as that. But a, a more progressive school might say, you know, this the whole thing doesn't make sense that you'd have to be, even if you don't do the, the old traditional lineup, even if the kids do come in on the bell, it's still it, all these faults kind of like d lines that you're drawing of times and spaces. It doesn't actually help to it doesn't actually benefit the student's education in any way. And in many ways, it, it removes some of those opportunities that you're saying that you want to give to them. And uh, I guess the other thing on top of that is the irony of trying to build independence while <laughs> at the same time having to be there. Um, to supervise and, and the mainstream school is based a lot on these checks and balances and the checks and balances often mean that somebody is going to be seeing whether you're doing what is expected of you and then someone else is watching them and, and you get this big chain of people kind of all checking on everybody else that's doing whether they're doing the right thing um, and accountability can be absolutely fantastic we've already talked about how accountability is one of the big leaps or big moves from tradition into the mainstream and what what it and, and the benefits and, and some of the drawbacks of it but the benefits that the mainstream school system has brought by adding accountability but this is one of those times where it has caused some tension and some some friction that potentially works against the core value of opportunity and I think the subtle nuance there, it's not like there is no accountability in the traditional system, but rather it is trusted. There is more trust. It is trusted that you are upholding your duty in traditional. And that trust is more or less given due to the responsibilities of the role. Whereas in mainstream schools, it's saying, oh, yeah, we will trust you 
after we've done our checks and balances to make sure that you are upholding all of your duties. Then we will trust you. And that's where that real accountability and that that checking, and I like how you said, like the checking of the checking. You know, it's not enough to be a teacher positioned strategically in the hallway to watch students come up. You know that at least at some point in the year, possibly even weekly, maybe even on a daily basis, your head of school is also going to walk around to make sure that you are in the, you know, following the codes that you should be and all these sorts of things. So yeah, there's, there's levels of checking and who knows, maybe there's a super, super Nintendo chalmers who even strolls through once a month to make sure the head of school is checking that the head of school is checking the teachers checking that the students are coming in. I think I said that correctly, but you get the meta idea there. Nice. Yeah. Flintstones reference. I'm a big fan of that show. Um, yeah, exactly. Love George Jetson. Uniforms. Dress codes. I, I think I want to acknowledge the, the, uh, the nagging voice that goes on in my head always when we talk about these things. We give caveats all the time, but if you're new to the show, maybe you're like, well, they should do that. Or, well, that's ridiculous. Why should they do that? And I think, um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm strawmanning you. Sorry, listener. Um, but if you are hearing that voice in your head of like, well, that's how it should be, or that's how, um, that's ridiculous, how, why they're doing that old-fashioned kind of Victorian style, then I think this idea of the three different types of schools is where that makes sense. Because if you do feel like, oh, yeah, well, of course, this makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what my school does, or that's exactly what I'd like to see. Then you're probably in line with that mainstream value. And what we try to do here on the show is, is to look objectively and say that the reason why this value exists, the reason why the mainstream opportunity value is out there is because it does have a lot of positive going for it has the babies, which are brilliant and amazing, great things we want to keep hold of, but it also has bathwater. It has the things that maybe if you're looking from another perspective, it doesn't quite make as much sense. So if you are hearing that voice in your head that this is wrong, maybe you're, you're resonating more with the traditional kind of mindset and or even the more progressive mindset. And so please bear that in mind. And if you, if you want to get a bit more of an overview of what we mean by that then you know again if you listen to episode 50 i think we set that out so these episodes are very much about the mainstream school um we've worked in these schools it's not necessarily where we would always go to to say that this is the best way to do these things but we are trying to present these objectively and so uniforms uniforms this one will be a bit strange because you say okay well do mainstream schools have uniforms and the answer is some of them do and some of them don't. So then you have to go a layer deeper and go, okay, why do some mainstream schools have uniforms and why do some mainstream schools not have uniforms? And why do some mainstream schools have dress codes and why do some not have dress codes? Well, basically, if there is a uniform, if there is a dress code, it's approached logically and consciously and it's probably been weighed to see the pros and the cons, and either a uniform or dress code has merit, or it doesn't have merit. Now, Brennan, you were speaking about your experience in Britain, and in Wigan in particular, uh, but also throughout other parts of Europe. Perhaps there's this like leftover 
from the traditional approach to school where uniforms, there was no question about it in a traditional school. Of course, you had a uniform. Um, so even as we've moved on to more mainstream approaches in other areas, maybe this is a bit of a hangover, a leftover from the traditional approach that says all students must be wearing the correct uniform. Um, but if we look at why is a uniform happening in a mainstream school, um, it might not be happening in the day-to-day -day classroom environment, but you're probably going to see uniforms for sports or even for school representation. So I know from my own, what I would argue is more mainstream uh, school experience as a student, we only had uniforms in sports class. And it was basically a shirt you bought from the school uh, that you would wear during sports class. And I know for some other students at some schools, uh, there would be a school shirt or I even think school cardigan. I know sometimes you borrow it from the school. Sometimes you had to give a deposit uh, when you'd be representing the school at some sort of competition, be it a robotics competition, a speech competition, or most often in my experience, if you were in the school band and going to perform somewhere, the school looked uniform, wearing their uniform, wearing the school colors, that kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, the mainstream school probably just doesn't really care. And uniforms and dress codes only really become an issue if it's impacting student learning and student achievement. Basically, it just hopes that uniforms don't get in the way of those things. And if uniforms dress code begins to be an issue that is impacting student achievement, then it gets put on the table as an issue for concern for mainstream schools. Otherwise, I'd say by and large, it's not really a top priority in most mainstream schools. Babies, good things about this approach? Yeah, so depending on how you look at it, the, the, the British schools and schools that were a uniform but are of a more mainstream mindset, as you just said, that maybe they're doing it for practical, logical reasons. And some of those reasons that are given for keeping the uniform is that in areas of uh, diverse socioeconomic kind of communities, it, it kind of takes that off the table because the kids are all wearing more or less the same clothes. And they're usually somewhat relatively cheap, generic brand kind of clothes. And actually many schools, they'll say, you know, your shoes and your pants, which could, you could go to the, the, the fancy shop down the other end of town and buy a brand style of of uh trousers uh, we don't we don't want those we want you to wear the generic clothes and it's not because of what we did in the traditional school of like that's how it should be and that's our tradition no it's because this is a way to say that we've got some kind of sense of fairness and equality going on here everybody's more or less able to play their part without worrying too much about what clothes you're wearing and and uh, it avoids this idea of the brand wars that um, that you'll get. But on the other hand, you know, speak to people who live in North America that haven't had um, worn uniforms, and maybe I'll come to you on this um, a, a little bit later, Rob. But you know, the freedom to wear you, what you want is the is obviously the positive on that side. It's like, hey, the, you're not in the army here. Why should you be wearing a, a uniform? You should have a choice of what you were and i think as you said the the main point is 
this is logically thought through and it helps the school to operate in its its efficient kind of an effective way it, it also especially in the in the schools that were a, a very simple uniform it cuts down on any discussion on dress code you would think but <laughs> you know having been in British schools and we know all the games that get played we would switch our ties around so instead of the big fat end we'd have the thin skinny end showing because it was cool and of course that caused a little bit of of uh, disruption and stuff but those are relatively minor and in theory this takes that off the table and, and things such as wearing shirts with bad words on and stuff but what what would be some of the positives as seen in north america for not having a school uniform yeah well, i almost think we we would use some of the same arguments it's like well if you can wear whatever you want then yeah there's no time wasted on dress code discussion because you're not flipping the ties and all those sorts of things and kids can wear what they want you know you can define your own sense of fashion you can state who you are through your clothing, as delusional or not as that might be of a thought. Um, yeah, I think it more or less just comes down to freedom. I remember in my last year of high school, there was a discussion about my high school introducing a school uniform. And um, I don't know if there was, other than the handful of parents who brought it up originally, I don't think there was anybody <laughs> outside of that who is actually in support of it. And I really wish I could go back in time and really ask the why. Like, well, why are you suggesting this? It was sort of like we'd already jumped ahead to like, the school should have the uniform and here, you know, we're going to do it next year. Um, I would be interested to find out what the why was behind that. Um, I think even somewhat culturally, because the uniform hasn't been a part of North American culture in public schools specifically, I think there is the idea that a uniform seems stuffy, old-fashioned, or even the alternate, like quite pretentious and uh, snooty, and you know you're kind of stuck up if you had a school uniform. And you know, like most jobs, sure, there's a dress code, but it's up to you to <laughs> to choose what you want to wear and and represent yourself. And you know, you're not in the military, you're not some corporate executive. You don't need to be dressing like everybody else. Yeah, and when the idea of a uniform came up at my school a couple of years back, it wasn't. You didn't have to dig too far in to realize that many of the arguments were leaning traditionally. They were talking about things like, "Well, this will give kids a sense of pride in the school and and show that they're part of a group." None of those are bad things per se, but they are traditionally leaning. And so, if you've got a school that's made up of mainly mainstream minded people and even some progressives those ideas those th that's not going to resonate with them and even worse they might be like hold on you know why do you need to wear a particular piece of clothing to have pride in the place where, where you go to or just because you and i are wearing the same sweater that somehow makes us part of the same team and we have to kind of like force it so that we're like we're really like proving hey we're on the same team aren't we can't we actually just work together and then build our friendships and our relationships that way i'm running ahead here because these are some of the bath waters but rob what, what are some of the bath waters that would come up from a mainstream school's approach to uniforms 
Yeah, well, just before I get into those, I remember as you and I were trying to research for this episode, I was trying to find any research papers or even just teachers or administration talking about the benefits of the uniforms. And I'm not going to completely throw uniforms under the bus, but I will throw a few of the people who support uniforms blindly under the bus. And I did laugh at the one quote where it said something like, uh, it was a teacher saying, you know, when, well, it's important to have uniforms because when a student walks past and sees either an entire sports class or their whole school wearing the school colors at a school event, they will well up with pride and a sense of belonging. I thought, do you know that for sure? Because you're, if that's your only argument that you think that's the reaction in that upper left quadrant happening and that it's reinforcing a lower left pride in one's group. It's like, well, if that's not happening, your whole argument falls apart there and, and holds no real water. Um, so you need to actually check if the students feel that way or not when they see a group of people wearing a color. Um, but as far as that... Yeah, because there's nothing teenagers like more than... Uh... Than, than than walk the average Wigan teenager when they see a sport local sports team that's nothing they're, they're well up with pride I remember this like it, for me it was just another it was just another way of being bound into this thing and you know that's not necessarily especially if you go to the more progressive side where we're wanting people to to really feel on a a deeper meaningful level part of this whereas i think the traditional just says you are a part of this like it or not and again that can have some real benefits when things aren't going well you've got people around you but it's like you don't have a choice in this you're wearing this uniform i'm going back to traditional here you're wearing this uniform because you are part of this no matter what and i think the mainstream would want to kind of I don't know if they're necessarily trying to get away from that per se, but it's not something they're aiming for or looking for or particularly care about. As long as you're rocking up and the clothes you're wearing are not impeding what you're doing, great, let's go with that. Yeah, so where we get into the bathwater with this is when students, especially in a mainstream school, are actually missing out on class time, missing out on the chance for differentiated instruction, missing out on the chance for feedback, missing out on the chance to improve their skills simply because they had the wrong colors or a wrong brand or didn't have a clean shirt that day. So it basically it's, it's not effective or efficient because it's a waste of time. And, you know, this is maybe more extreme. You wouldn't imagine it maybe in an English class or math class, but certainly we do see this often in sports classes. And it's not a matter of did the student have a uniform or equipment that was safe for sports class. Maybe the kid showed up with perfectly acceptable sports attire, but it wasn't the shirt that we use. So for the next 45 minutes, or in some cases, you've only got your one block of sports for the week for 90 minutes, and you're sitting on the side, or you now have to act as the teacher's helper, or worst case scenario, you are sitting stationary at the principal's office for those 90 minutes missing out on your chance to develop in physical education, that just seems totally bizarre and, and counterproductive completely. And as you were starting to allude to, like a more progressive critique of this 
is, you know, there's no need even for a dress code. You know, there are bigger ways, more important ways that we can find like authentic group harmony, authentic belonging, authentic sense of community. And also though, ironically, and uh, you know, we'll get to this two years from now when we're talking about uniform and dress codes in the progressive school, I know of some examples of progressive schools where individual classes might choose to have a uniform. But why do they have a uniform? It's not for the mainstream reasons of effectiveness and efficiency and student achievement. It's not for traditional reasons of this is who we are, so this is what we look like and this is what we do. But it comes out of the group and students deciding and choosing and preferring, yeah, actually, we would like to have this for our own set of reasons. Uh, so it's not being forced upon by a school like you might see in either mainstream or traditional approaches. Yeah, and I guess that that touches on the question of who makes this decision. And obviously, in a mainstream school, it would be made by the governing board, by the head teacher, and so on. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention also uniforms when we're talking about effectiveness and efficiency in some private schools anyways that would require it. Some schools will actually have you buy the uniform directly from them. You gave the example of a school uniform where students or families may go purchase it at a third-party entity or be able to make use of hand-me-downs and you know sharing, swapping clothes between each other. But some schools will straight up charge you for the uniform and you are ordering it directly from them or indirectly through someone where the school still gets some profits. And it simply is a... Um, method of income for the school, for better or for worse. Hey, do we want school uniforms? Well, we would have a few extra thousand bucks to invest in the school if we do them. Yep, that's good enough of a reason if we tuck it in with a few other of these justifications. And I think that falls neatly into the mainstream kind of opportunity here. It's an opportunity for us to make more make more cash, but also it it works on these other levels too. It will, in theory, make our school more bound up in that kind of that uh, school feeling of a pride as we well up, as we walk past those sports teams and so on. It is an interesting kind of issue that's not going to go away. But if you are having this discussion in your school or if you have a school uniform and want to get rid of it or vice versa, it's really worth digging around and seeing what are those what are those reasons that underpin it, and that's getting back to why we're looking into these kind of somewhat uh, minimal issues in school, which can, in some cases, become major and take up lots and lots of time. You don't have to look too far in Britain to find newspaper articles about people who've been sent home from school for the wrong shoes, or my friend. Um, who had her down to his shoulders in a time when that wasn't allowed, was sent home from school and had to be, he, you know, dug his heels in and he didn't go back for like two or three weeks until eventually he got his hair cut. You know, it's um, these somewhat arbitrary lines. And like you said, Rob, that actually, how is that helping kids, you know, how is that a more efficient or effective way to teach kids? But of course, you know, we need to have some rules and expectations and consequences that's also part of the mainstream the mainstream kind of aim for transparency at least and so it's it's a somewhat of a negotiation but um interestingly we talked about you know the, the democratic nature of more progressive schools we've got this push and pull in 
mainstream schools where we should be aiming for more democratic approaches because democracy is is deeply ingrained in the mainstream values but also the conception of children means that we don't really give them that that democracy and that's something that we'll touch on a lot more as we get further in of that kind of like pull between the 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 wanting to give kids more freedom more choice and even bring in ideas of democracy but actually not being able to because of the way we design school as a as something that's actually projecting forward and really more about getting these kids ready for the workplace or the next step of school. If that makes sense to you, great. Maybe you've listened to a few episodes. If it doesn't, again, go back and listen to some because this is just a tiny little snapshot of one element of school that fits into that larger picture of how mainstream schools operate, how they think, and how that value of opportunity comes through in everything they do. And there's this saying in the coaching world, like how you do one thing is how you do everything. So we can basically choose any minutiae within a school, and in some way we will see the representation of either a traditional approach, traditional reasoning, mainstream approach with mainstream reasoning, or a progressive approach with progressive reasoning. So next we move on to assemblies. That's what we'll be looking at in our next episode and possibly even getting into some of the teaching and learning philosophies Mm. of mainstream schools. Brennan, as always, it's been a delight for me. I hope if anyone's still listening to this, you mutually feel it's been a delight to have sat in on our conversation. Um, I guess this is the part where I just say thanks, Brennan. Thanks, Rob. But it's also the part where I'd like to drop in that we've had quite a few people reach out to us via email. And um, a few episodes ago, we spoke to Malcolm. He got in touch with us that way. And we'll be speaking to him again quite soon. That was a it was a lovely conversation with a very nice chap. And yeah, just if you are out there thinking, I got a little bit to say about this, or I'd like to just ask more questions to these guys about something, please get in touch with us um, at reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com. And we will endeavor to give you a polite and friendly response. And let's see where it goes. Yeah, and it might be a written response or as has been happening. We've connected with a few listeners just for Zoom chats to hang out. And uh, a few of those have then even turned into having you on as a guest and turning an episode out of it. So turning it into an episode, I should say. So feel free to reach out. It's kind of becoming the most interesting way for us to to engage with you folks out there. So thanks. Peace out. Peace out.